1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Hello, hello, hello. Looking fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How are you all?
2: We're all all right. Thank you very much. And are you joining us from Jersey?
1: I am, yes. I am.
2: Very nice. It's miserable
1: weather.
0: The weather's like Glasgow today, I've got to be honest. Uh... Oh, no, we're sunny. We're sunny. Ivy, look. Oh, take... are you? oh I've... There we go. I have just taken my jacket off in your honour. I was wearing my wow. big coat. Everywhere. Wow, well, wow, wow. I,
2: I, I told her about the fashion part of your CV. <laughs> okay. So she thought this item from I Fred know. and Florence exactly, would impress Exactly, I thought, you. I'll not
0: wear my, my eider down. <laughs> 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 oh. And here's me in black, the customary black, so boring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no,
2: I'm in black, but that's to deal with obesity. But we can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, thank you for joining us, Tessa. And Pleasure. Can I? The first thing that I want to know is why did you move to Jersey? Because yeah. you're you're a Glasgow girl through and through.
1: I am, and I always will be. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, actually, quite an emotional one. Um, my mum passed away in 2013. Right, right. I live next door to her. <gasps> and um, she was my best friend in the world very close to both my parents i was and i found it really hard because my entire world was all my memories of my mum in glasgow and our village i just saw her everywhere mm-hmm. and i just you know thinking back now i still can not i think every day about going back but it's just i get so overcome thinking about her right um and that was really the main reason interestingly enough at the time um my husband got he was doing a lot of work out in los angeles and we were considering moving there uh-huh. um for work and um we went out to see it, and that's a, another long story but anyway i got freaked out by all the earthquakes and things i went for a meeting in jersey for a client and uh-huh. i remember not wanting to I thought, the hell's Jersey? well, I don't want to go there. Um, and I flew into Jersey and it's beautiful beaches, very Californian-esque. They've got a lot of white beaches, really lovely. And it was so close. Most of my work's in London. And I just had this kind of epiphany of, actually, this is a wee bit warmer. It's almost France. Mm. Um, it gets me out of Glasgow because I just wanted to run kicking and screaming because I was in a bad place yeah um and um i discovered jersey and we fell in love with it we thought you know what that's it's half an hour from london it's still british yeah and ironically there's loads of scots here which is really funny we never knew um and that was it and we opened an office here and um that's that's it we brought my dad with us actually um he came with us and lived with us in jersey and he's since passed away but um yeah so that that was the reason that was the reason so It was never anything other than just an emotional heart-wrenching
0: because it is, go, isn't it? The painful memories. But, but, but hopefully in the future, then those painful memories become comforting memories. So
1: Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, I've been back a few times. I've still got an office in Glasgow um, and my best friends in the world are, live there. Um, and so I do go back. I still do. You know, it's just the only th- the way I can think to describe it is weird because no matter how old you are. I mean, I was, you know, early 40s when I lost my mum and I lost my dad in 2019 everybody i know still has their parents yeah. and it's quite weird yeah. not because i was so close to them i mean you know i spoke to my mom 10 times a day i passed her house going to from work i saw her all the time she was very much part of my children's life second mom to my children yeah. it's just weird not having her there
0: yeah
1: and it's definitely it was definitely easier not being there um so and I thought, you know what, it's time for me to pull on my big girl pants and create <laughs> new memories for my own children. Yeah. And that's what we're doing.
2: Yeah, because you're like, Tessa, you don't have your no, parents, No, both my parents. I,
0: my mum died when I was 24 and my dad when I was 29. So, And mm, I, I understand brilliant. that feeling of always being surrounded by people who still have their parents, because it is a very different mm-hmm. feeling. And until you go through it, you don't realise yeah. that sort of orphan status. But it is yeah. that sort of sense of not having anyone above you that loves the bones of you. So. That's,
2: that's really mm-hmm. interesting you mentioned the word orphan. I... I still have both mine. Mary's 81 and she is mental. Mm. Had her on the phone (laughs) this morning. And my father, he's not in the greatest of condition, but that's through brain injury, through stroke. We'll, We'll move on from that. But the orphan thing, because I've heard people say oh, both my parents have passed, I'm in my 30s, I'm now an orphan. Mm-hmm. And obviously, clearly, A, because I'm gay, but B, the Annie thing, I kind of think that an orphan is a child, mm. if you see what I mean. Um, so do you did you buy into the orphan thing? Is that something that you related? 100%. Like to? Right.
1: 100%, yes. I mean, you know, I, and, and I am an organiser and a and a yeah. getter and a hustler and whatever, but I never expected to feel so alone sometimes because yeah. i think it's because i was so close to my my mum um but you know that way it doesn't matter what happens if you just phone your mum whatever issue or problem you have and she gives you a line and you go oh yeah that was the right answer i'm fine now
0: yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs>
1: and it's just you know oh why did i even think about it i'll just ask my mum or I ask my dad yeah. and suddenly you really that's why i talk my husband's always saying to me you know big girl parents because that's how i feel i think god mm-hmm. i need to make every single decision on my own now and yeah. That's, that's quite... I mean, you know exactly what I mean. You were a lot younger than, yeah. than me, certainly. Um, but, you know, it's life. And I feel, you know, I console myself with the fact that I'm very grateful that... Um, she knew all my children, and uh, you know, you know, she got to see so much, and as did my dad. So
0: I mustn't complain, but I think it just comes out of because we were so close. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it is, it's that, and also it's just the, you know the passage of time, and you know, and your own mortality really comes a bit more into focus. And and again, I mean, I did that sort of love thing. You know, my mum did pass away sadly before my kids were born. But for me, when my kids were born, it was another sort of revelation for me because, I mean, I, of mm-hmm. course I knew, I, I knew how much I loved my mom, but until I had my own kids, I didn't realise just how much she loved me. So it's that difference of just going, Mm-mm. just how much you're loved. And so I miss that. Yeah, yeah. So. We've so gone... There we are. Well, emotional. Then, oh, I mean, all no, it, it does, <laughs> actually. It's very does get you quite, you know... It, it tugs at the old heartstrings. Yeah.
1: It
2: really does. I think it's because these aren't normally the kind of conversations that you would have down the pub, if mm-hmm. you see what I mean. I, I, you know, mm-hmm. in, with a minority of people, but just in general, that it's not, you know, necessarily up for discussion or whatever, because it's maybe seen as a bit too deep or, mm. um you know, whatever. And it's just amazing the way... Because my sister-in-law, um, who I love dearly... Um, She always said, because she lost both her parents in her late 30s and in a fairly tight window frame and what she always said was thank God I had your niece and nephew mm-hmm. because that's what mm-hmm. got me through and she was an only child Yeah. so that and from a small place and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff and you know really a very different relationship to the one that I have with my mother if you see what I mean and Ian and Jean they were involved in the children's lives like you were saying Tessa and all that kind of stuff Where were you pleased to see See that your parents saw the success that you had both on a professional level and within your own marriage, your own family?
1: Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, look, there's, there's no bigger compliment than... Your parents saying, oh, "Gone, your cell doll." Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and my dad was my, you know, my my father was my mentor, and he was, um you know, he he came from a very working class, poor Glasgow background, built up a brilliant business, yeah. and knew what it meant. You know, he'd an outside toilet, the full story, um, but he really did push me, um, and I, I I I miss that. You know, I miss the brainstorming, I miss the banter, and you know. Glasgow people are wise you know and they've got that that brilliant the Scottish people in general they've just got that kind of hustle and sarcasm and water off a duck's back and that was him and so I certainly do because you know it's funny I don't you know when people talk about your achievements I actually they don't really mean anything because you don't believe them the only people I ever believed was my parents mm-hmm. you know yeah. my dad said to me you know what that was really good to see that that's really good then I go but I equally, when they would say,
0: well, not so good, but be, because 100%. parents can do that and be honest and yes. open. And, um, and it's oh, interesting God, yes. that you were saying about, it's not necessarily something you talk about down the pub, because it is that sense of vulnerability. And, you know, we all try to put on a brave face. And also, people really struggle with other people's grief. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh do you mean don't don't I don't want oh are you okay? But they don't really want to know if you're not okay. Just like please be okay for me because we can't cope. So it's nice to be able to talk about it out loud. Good.
2: Yeah. Talking of people that may or may not be difficult down the pub, oh, and I think you know where I'm going
1: because right.
2: as you know, I'm real housewife staffed because obviously why wouldn't I be you know I think I'm the um Lisa Vanderpump of Granton Harbor in Edinburgh, yeah. <laughs> you know with I the dog that, yeah. <laughs> with the dog under my oxter and a bad attitude to boot <laughs> um how was that? Because you were one of the real housewives. Are you still a real housewife of Jersey? Or uh, do, do we know? No, are we allowed to say? I
1: did. I did, I, I did. No, it's, it's, it's public knowledge. I, I told them I, I, I wouldn't be returning for a third series. Um, Look, from my perspective, it was brilliant fun. It was uh-huh. brilliant to be part of, you know, I mean, never, and again, it's a Glasgow thing. We're, we're You know, I always say this to my kids, you know, always try and be humble. I mean, sometimes I would laugh, you know, I'd think, my God, I actually can't believe it one Housewife franchise it was like you
0: know <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> I'm from Glasgow how did that happen and um, so from that perspective I loved the production of it and because of what I do for work uh-huh. for me it was an area that I hadn't really delved into so I actually got more excited by the production seeing how they they brought this whole thing to life talking to the crew working out all the you know just the whole behind the scenes production because i'm i'm there thinking if i see how they do one series i reckon i could start producing tv too and i mean i've got a lot uh-huh. to learn going back to school and you know i realized that everyone is freelance you know the production companies are there and they've got the heads that run them but all the producers directors lighting engineers everything so i was fascinated by that perspective um and the green screening and and doing all that the you know the concept of the show i think you know who can deny it? it's a worldwide success story and being part of it was great and i viewed it as a commercial opportunity for my brand for my projects and my Mm -hmm. business so from that perspective hallelujah nailed it uh, yeah I mean you know I'm not I'm shameless you know I am you know I'm a workaholic and I thought wow you can't not back that PR is fantastic um, and also I'm, I'm not naive enough to think you need to be able to tell a good story you mm-hmm. need to be able to have content as I always say to people uh-huh. so I loved it from that perspective the first series was great fun um, because I felt it was organically driven I mean you know you you you, you watched it so uh-huh. you followed the storyline because if something happened or disagreements happened they happened as a result of conversations that evolved uh-huh. so you could pick a team you could go oh don't agree with her oh I do agree with her and that's for me, that storytelling. Yeah. Um the second series was a very different experience for me. I didn't enjoy it. I felt um I felt like an outcast. I wasn't in the squad. And therefore I didn't feel that it made as good TV as it should have done. Because mm-hmm. um, there wasn't the-
2: sorry com- to interrupt, there was a real divide. There were two it camps is. in the second series. And yeah. and, I, and for what? But that was the I mean? whole thing. So I, I've watched it religiously with my niece who's so and she's like, oh, You've got Dr. Tess Hartman on today and I went, Yeah, bitch <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and um she's like, Well can you ask her, first of all, how real is it being a real housewife? Mm-hmm. Which I, yeah. I think it is pretty real, but we just couldn't understand particularly from Margaret so there's another Scottish woman who's a property tycoon hello my name's Margaret is the camera still on me I mean me and Katie used to well you know how Kate dressed up as you as the bride well me and <laughs> mm-hmm. my niece we sometimes dress up as Margaret just for fun in her <laughs> flat <laughs> and just say things like do you want a coffee uh, is the camera <laughs> still on me because this woman is like a wooden spoon yeah. with like <laughs> bad Botox and a wig and And she's not not particularly authentic, is she? And she came away a bit uh, quite... But I just couldn't understand the divide because it became... It was actually uncomfortable in some cases to watch.
1: Seriously. Well, I I had a lot of feedback. It it was uncomfortable to film. Mm. And, look, in in terms of answering the question, what is real, it is real. What you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. No one, you know... In fact, my um, gripe with them was they didn't show you all of my real reactions. Yes. And, the, and I felt that my personality was stifled because oh. they had decided that she's going to be that strong businesswoman, sassy, always drawing the dirty looks. Where in actual fact, I tried really hard because if you know me and you, you speak to any Scottish Glaswegian person, their life is filled with sarcasm and wit. Uh-huh. So yeah. I, I delivered what I thought was good banter because mm-hmm. I got a lot of stuff thrown at me and I gave it back the way we would do in our in our culture and they didn't show you anything mean, right? they cut it all out uh, but- and so I was really disappointed because I want people to I would rather show the full argument yeah. and yeah. show my classic Glaswegian yeah. response yeah. because, because then it, you're it was never better it was never nasty it yeah. was cheeky and sarcastic mm-hmm. yeah. And that was the only way I could think to deal with it. And then you didn't see it, so it didn't really And did you sense. have
0: any, you didn't have any control over the editorial of no. it? Oh. Because I, years ago, I don't know if you remember this, I did, in fact, Janie Godley put me onto these, um, I did Wife Swap. That Ah, channel four, where you swap houses. I remember that. Yes. And uh, we were the first Scottish couple to do it. And I did it because I was quite new at comedy at the time. And I, in exactly the same reasons, I thought, oh, this would be quite good for my profile. And do you mean? But the way that they kind of storyboarded it was I was a filthy, lazy, unfit mother. (laughs) But again, all my sarcastic responses, my dry sense of humour, they kind of lost that. And, yeah. yes, so, I mean, people that knew me just thought it was hilarious, but people that didn't thought I was some kind of scummy mom. Yes, mum. they think
1: you're that person. Yeah, yeah they <laughs> thought
0: you were a midden, didn't yeah, they? absolutely. They thought they were a midden, absolutely. Yeah. But it was funny,
2: going back to Margaret, who is an interesting character, I thought that Karen didn't understand Margaret's sarcasm, um, you know, particularly with the, have you had any work done on oh, Mind Your Own F in Business, which I thought was really funny. But then that seemed to kind of go into a much bigger
1: deal again in karen's defense i think karen got the short straw because that's not it's not my recollection of events Mm. And that's probably all I'm allowed to say. But um, I do defend Karen because she definitely got the short straw. stroke. Right. Okay. Um, there's no shadow of a doubt. But again, if you watch the series, you think she's a
0: total, you know. Yeah. And so in terms of what, <laughs> you, were, what you were saying, <laughs> Tessa, you know, obviously the first series is absolutely great. And for what you do, and it was a really positive thing, yeah, in the, is it yeah. the, the flip side of the coin that actually now you think, well, this could do more damage than than good for you to stay on the programme? I-
1: I I think, well, I'm not, you know, that's a very interesting question because it depends on who you ask. Mm -hmm. You know, I've I've always worked in media, so, you know, for me, a lot of things are you have to have that strong water off a duck's back attitude, otherwise you'd shoot yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of, I don't really care what other people think because for me it's like, look, guys, it's reality TV. Mm -hmm. Let's take a pinch of salt. It's supposed to be entertainment. It's supposed to be drama and glamour and all of that. What i I what, where I look at it is if it's the fun is stripped out of it and I'm personally not enjoying, enjoying doing it. it, then it's not worth doing it. Yeah. and yeah. And I think that's a shame because I love the concept. I love the idea of it. I mm-hmm. would love to do a third series. I would love to carry on filming, you know housewives. I think it's a great opportunity, but I couldn't carry on the way it is at the moment, and mm-hmm. that's simply a cast issue because, I think they've they've all done themselves a disservice. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that's, you know, you nailed it, Bruce, because I don't think people want to watch that. It got too it, down to your core and it yeah. got too uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that you know, we're in 2022 now and we can still housewife, we have the housewife franchise and we still have all the drama and you're going to have those crazy housewives that do all the things that make us laugh. But equally, there should be an element of empowerment, you know, Mm -hmm. of showing women actually can fall out and have a go, but actually come back together again. And that's not Mm -hmm. how I felt. I felt I was back at school. And And reinforcing the stereotype, isn't it? yes yeah and and it's like gosh you know this is not why i I don't want to go back to school i hated school (laughs) and here i am um so and and it's a shame because i i i do you know i did love it and i think it i think it was brilliant for jersey and i hope it continues for them because i think it's great for the island you can't buy it Mm -hmm. um so from that perspective i think it is a great shame whether they'll shake it up or not i don't know whether it'll get a third series i don't know We'll Just have to wait and see, but and, you know what? Well, I'm hustling on other things,
0: yay! Always working, that's great. Oh, it's now you're oh the doctor, I'm interested in the doctor, Tessa Harmon. So, oh,
1: gosh! Well, the doctor I got is an honorary doctorate. Um, I did a lot of work with Glasgow Caledonian University over the years, um, and particularly with all the work with Scottish Fashion Awards, you know, I supported oh. a lot of young designers mm-hmm. for many many years did a lot of work in fashion and textiles and um, that's that's that was the accolade that I received and it was I was very excited about it because I was never uh, academic enough I have a degree from Stirling University Um believe it or not so it was
0: just such a thrill for me just to get that. And again, my mum and dad were there for that. So that was great. I my dad. And was it the whole the classic with the whole fabulous gown? And, and <gasps> oh, yeah, the full hat. regalia. Legally blonde.
1: Full Yes, I felt like the queen, actually. <laughs> yes,
0: um, but it was
2: great. You, you just said that you didn't perceive yourself to be particularly academic and you didn't enjoy school, things I can both relate to. So how did you get into what was the pathway to get where you are now having left school?
1: Well, when I, um, when I left school, I actually, believe it or not, I was going to go to drama college. And then I surprisingly did really well in my hires, much better than I ever expected. And I thought, oh gosh, I could go to university now, actually. And my dad was like, why wouldn't you? Because who'd <laughs> have thought you'd do really well um so i i literally got in through like the system at the you know at the end of the mm-hmm. summer i went to sterling um i was doing business management marketing in spanish and um i was always like you. Yeah, i was always doing like nightclub promos and stuff like that when i was growing up in glasgow yeah. and doing events and things and um in night do you remember 1990 this is the only way i remember it when it was what's well, european city of culture and we had yeah. um we had the special olympic games And I had volunteered to work at the Special Olympic Games, you know, signed up, you know, I was a student, um, got a job for the summer. They didn't pay anything. It was just a volunteer. And the guy who was the marketing director on site in the office for Special Olympic Games. I, I was his gopher, if you like. Then he got ill. This is a brilliant story. He got ill and two weeks into the gig, um the Kennedy Foundation, obviously Kennedy family from Washington, their team comes over and they were going to be based in Glasgow for like three months, and this amazing lady called Victoria, um, she's like, Well, you know, Brian's like ill and we're gonna to have to recruit do how about we just like pay you something and you can be my assistant and help me do it. So I was like, "Great, some money, this is fabulous, So I got myself a wee gig for the summer, and I was her right hand for that special Olympic Games, and it was the most surreal, unbelievable experience of my life because literally there I was, what was I, maybe nineteen, um I was doing donuts photocopying all the all the stuff, all the mundane stuff of the day. then at the same time she would send me to meet a private jet and get Prince Albert. Off the airport at Glasgow Airport. I was organizing all the VIPs for the opening ceremony. I was getting a set of Carmen rollers for Eunice Kennedy Shriver, you name it, I did it. And it was just, I was, I lapped up this kind of buzzy, thrilly celebrity, but also work. I mean, yeah. the Americans' the work ethic is off the scale. It sounds like, like a baptism of it fire is.
0: just to be thrown in. Absolutely. I said,
1: I never said no, you know, mm. no matter how knackered I was, mm. I never said no. So, anyway did that for the summer she then said to me you are amazing we're doing a world games next year in minneapolis how would you like if i gave you a job to come and work in washington dc for the first month and then we'll go down to minneapolis and you can be my assistant again for the world games i was like amen and so i did that and then a couple of years later i was finishing university and i was applying for jobs and um, she sent me an email and said um we're giving our uh, European um, advertising account to an American agency in London because you've done two world games, would you like to go for an interview? And at that point, actually I'd already, um, I don't know what possessed me, but I was I was thinking, how can I afford to live in London? I'll go work in a stockbrokers. I got a job in a stockbrokers and I was about to start. And this is the, probably the only thing that I never told my parents because I told them everything. And so I got this job and she sent me the letter and i said you need to start on the Monday. She's like, you need to go for this interview on the Monday. And I'm like, oh, Victoria said, just accepted the job, my stockbrokers. And if I don't turn up my first day, they're just going to bump me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if I don't turn up and then I don't get the job, I'll have lost too. So normally I would have phoned my dad and went, Oh God, what will I do? I thought he'd kill me. So anyway, I thought, you know what? I feel it in my gut. So I phoned in sick on my first, first day.
0: Ah, wow. I'm
1: really sorry. You know, I had <laughs> salmonella, whatever it was, food poisoning. Went for this interview, got the job, Whew, thank God. Then I told my parents, and that was it. So. You know, that's how I, I got into this American ad agency. Um, and again, you know, they, you start at the bottom and you learn the trade. And, you know, I was an assistant and then worked my way up to all the different stages. But it was brilliant because they really, you know, this is the, some the things that I, I look at this generation now. I had to work in a print shop. I had to work in the design team. I had to work as a photographer's assistant. And then I went into the account team. Then the management team, you know, you had to do, you had to understand the entire business Mm -hmm. model which i just don't think a lot of people are prepared to do now
0: yeah
1: um you know and so that i couldn't i I wouldn't be where i am today if if they hadn't forced me to go through that training
2: it's interesting because anyone that does know you will know your work ethic your tenacity and your incredibly varied cv but recently kim kardashian had come out and said women don't want to work they don't want to do this and you're like Oh, Kim, yeah, mm, mm-hmm. I understand, but look at where you're speaking from as opposed to someone like yourself having a phone in sick due to brie poisoning or something mm-hmm. ridiculous, you know, in order <laughs> not to chaff yourself. So it's really easy for a billionaire Kim Kardashian, me, West, to go, come on, step your pussy up, do this, do that, whereas you were actually, you are your nose to the grindstone. Um, but I think a lot of people, I think a lot of younger generation, um, I think they think, hang on, I'll be fair. Famous, it'll be fine yeah. because i don't think they realize you can be famous with no money by the way yes and you as, as long as you're getting invited to the events then that's your food <laughs> but you know they don't understand the bigger picture
1: they don't and it's amazing i mean if i've got a fiver for the amount of um mums that will actually say to me with a straight base um you know, it is, i've got Wee J C and uh, she's a great actress and uh, or she's a great singer or he's this, this and I you think you, know, you could you, you know you could just do what you do and make them famous and you kind of like think oh my god you really have no idea. No idea. Yeah, absolutely. You know I mean? No idea yeah. and the first of all the, and now I'm kind of like well versed in it and I'm like you know the only thing even with my kids now the most important ingredient you can never take away from somebody is talent.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. And people
1: forget that to get the, to have the talent, you need to go through the grindstone. Mm-hmm. You need to study and learn, your, and as I call it, your craft. Uh-huh. What is your craft? Yeah. You need to be brilliant at your craft. If you're a musician, the amount of people I know that don't read music, I'm sorry, how does that work, yeah. you know? So there there are a million of these stories, and I think we live in this society with social media culture that people think everything is just so easy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they don't realise the hours you put into curating your Instagram, uh-huh. to curating your brand, to pulling it all together, and... You know, nothing happens. You know, it's the classic tale. An overnight success is 10 years. Yes, 10 years Remember. to become an
0: overnight success. But also it's <laughs> like it's like with us, do you know what I mean? We spend, you know, people say, oh God, you only work 20 minutes a day. You're like, right. you, know, do you know, because mm-hmm. I'm on stage for 20 minutes, just like all the other work that goes in. And you just, and interesting what you said there. I just find it fascinating if you had decided to do, you know, to go to the stockbrokers on your first day mm-hmm. and not go to the interview. It reminded me of Christine Bovo that we interviewed the, PF singer mm-hmm. that said, "There's a moment, always a moment in time that opens the door to your future," and it feels like that yeah. was that. F- do you mean for oh, you? It was
1: a it was If a you hadn't, how
0: what would have happened if you just yeah, ended up at the stockbroker's?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would have probably gone off my head with loads of money and being single and living in London. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there are worse things, aren't there? There are worse
2: things. But But, um, the one thing that you are known for as well is uh, philanthropy, um, your mm -hmm. philanthropic side, that's what I was trying to say. And you have experience of some of the organisations that you tirelessly fundraise with because you are a cancer survivor.
1: Yes. 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 Yes absolutely and that was another funny journey in fact you know going back to my mum I remember this is a really funny story well it's not a funny story but it's a poignant story shall we say Um, I was diagnosed the actual diagnosis came the day I got the results back from the biopsy was March 21st. What year was that? 2017 2017. and uh, I came home from the hospital with my husband and uh, the girls were here and um you know, I was in a terrible state as you can imagine and I said to the girls you know I said to you know and I can't believe it, it's March 21st March 21st was the day my mum passed uh. and I said to girls I can't believe it that she did this to me on this day of all days and Talia grabbed me like that with her arms and she said you get a hold of yourself she said why do you think it's the 21st it's the 21st because she's on your shoulders to tell you she's got this and you've got this and pull yourself together. And it was a real, oh, talk about moments. And actually I thought, oh my God, you're right. You're right. This isn't a bad sign. This is a, this is the sign. Mm-hmm. This is the sign I needed. And um, that was probably one of, I didn't cry a lot in public and tried never to cry in front of the children. Um, that was probably the only time I did cry in front of the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, But I just, I got a profound strength from that. Uh Um, But that, again, people say, what was the hardest part? The hardest part actually was going through it without my mum. Because I just, you know, I was having to be strong for everyone else around me. Because Uh actually, when you go through something like that, you very rarely think of yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're worrying worried, about other people. The only thing I could think of, and I, and I said this at the time, I said to my husband, I said, you're so shit at so many things. I can't go. You just wouldn't be able to go. <laughs> I mean, you can't even turn the washing machine on, never mind, look after more children. And that I was full of fear because I thought, they're, they're useless without me, whether that's an egotistical thing or not. That's what drove me. And I thought, right, do you know what? I need to get my get my shit together and um yeah it was a journey and um it was it was bizarre and and I never really realized the impact of it funny enough until because I didn't speak about it a lot afterwards, oh. immediately afterwards. I felt you know, I'm also a big believer in that whole universe thing. I don't want to talk about it in case I bring it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Negative
0: energy.
1: That. Yeah, negative energy. And then I um I did housewives and I spoke about it a little on the Uh show because we're doing this. If you'll remember, we're Uh doing that kind of spiritual healing thing. And I could not get away with the amount of women that contacted me and young women, much younger than me, that said everything I was saying was resonating to them and how grateful they were. And suddenly I thought, gosh, you know, I could maybe help people because I didn't really know who to turn to when I was going through it, you know, Uh like, for instance i've lost count i i i've got loads of virtual friends now of women that are going through it now because people message me all the time they ask me about hair they ask me about tamoxifen they ask me about chemotherapy seven weeks in or da it da, da, and i do my very best to get back to every single one of them yeah. but the simple reason is that it helps it just helps to have that conversation um and so that was the reason i thought you know what i'm going to set up um uh, a, a fundraising mechanic, and we called it "Love Your Barbara" because I don't know if you know this. Um, I called my new boob Barbara, my old boob Brittany. Barbara's you know, great. Right? Brittany's a wee bit nineties, a wee bit floppy, but still
0: there.
1: Um, Who's the bigger so, star? Yeah,
0: exactly <laughs> Barbara. Well so did done. you did you have a single mistake to me, or a double mistake to me? Single, single mistake to me. And again, that is a decision. Sometimes I wish I'd had both. Well, now interestingly. A very good friend of ours, and I do a double act with her, Susan Morrison, um, similarly was diagnosed with breast cancer and and in one breast, but, but opted for a double mastectomy but the fight she had on her hands because to do that, to do that was phenomenal, and she was she was so amazed that her body. And they were saying, but the other the other breast is healthy tissue, so we don't need to take it off. She said, but I don't want to have one yeah. one breast and, and not the other. And yeah. um, but but she was very surprised at just how much uh, you know yeah. she was up against it to get that done.
1: You're right. They were the same here. I mean, I had a brilliant surgeon. Um, you know, I I I love him to bits, but that was definitely the message, you know, why would you interfere with something that's healthy and good tissue? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that is a big decision. And also because they're never really going to be the same. I mean, I live with a permanent chicken fillet on Barbara because she's not quite the same size yeah. as Brittany. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's an issue. But, um, you know, it is it's it is a roller coaster and everybody has different tales, but there is a wonderful, you know, we call it the survivalship community mm. of which people just sharing their stories and talking. And, and I think the funniest thing is, you know, this TV stuff that I'm doing, you know, never in a million years would I have imagined when I was going through my chemo that yeah. two years later I'd be on telly yeah. doing housewives. I yeah. mean, that is, you know, because you, you have to reevaluate your whole life. You have to write your will. You have to make sure everything's prepared. You have to have all these horrible, frightening conversations yeah. with your children and your husband and whatever. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, I feel now that it's a bygone era, mm. which is great. I don't dwell on it. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about it. I don't get sad about it because I think actually, it's kind of made me who I am and oh. it's given me a different perspective in life and yeah. and I'm here. So yeah. actually, every day is I think perspective's
0: a the wonderful thing that you do get from these situations. How, how old are your kids now?
1: Um, Tessie's 25, Talia's 23, Zach is 15 and Johnny is 17. So Zach was 10, you know? Yeah, that's right. Um, and Johnny was 13 and they were, you know, I think it was and, and Talia was, what, seventeen, eighteen. It was just, I remember Zach saying to me one night, it was horrific, you know, when I was going through my chemo and stuff. Um, he said to me, Mummy, can I ask you a question? I, was like, I said, are you going to die? Uh.
0: Oh...
1: Even now, even now yeah. talking about that. I mean, it's just, you know, how do you answer that? And of course my Glaswegian hustle was like, don't be so, so bloody ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> of course I'm not going to, are you be- Are you serious? You know, and almost getting angry at him, you know. Not the whole, oh darling, don't worry about it. You know, I, I you know, gave him a slap almost, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know what, he never asked again. And he went, okay, all right, okay. And that was, that was okay for him. That's how he dealt with it um but yeah so i've set up love your barbara and it's literally just um i don't want to fundraise myself so what i'm going to do what i'm doing is i'm going to charities to say look what can i do for you fundraise for them on their behalf um which saves me setting up the whole non-profit organization so essentially it's It's like, I called it a label. It's a non-profit label. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm doing a big project with Asda, which is coming out at the end of the year, which I'm so excited about. Um, With Love Your Barbara, I've done a thing. with. It's a great name,
0: Love Your Barbara, isn't
1: it? Love Your Barbara. (laughs) You know, I can't tell you the difference it made. And this is, it's a language. This is one of the things I really want everybody to to almost instigate when they go through that journey, and your friend Susan will probably tell you the same, the worst word in the world is cancer. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to say, how's your cancer this week? (laughs) (laughs) You know, who says that? So what do they do? They don't go, you know, oh, how's your bald head? Is that all? You know, they just don't, they don't, so they don't ask. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes uncomfortable. And then they go, oh, how are you? And you think, oh, is she meaning how am I really? Or Mm -hmm. how is vomiting or whatever? So when I said to the kids, I said, look, I want you to refer to everything in this cancer circle as Barbara. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want mm-hmm. to ask for treatment, you refer to Barbara. If I'm going to my chemo, you'll call it the spa. And so when I told all my friends that, it was, it just literally, it was like a switching a button. Mm-hmm. The conversations and support I got was so much better because they would literally call me and go, how's Barbara today? Yeah. And they'd go, actually, she's had a really bad... Bloody
0: day! Uh. <laughs> she's in the right bad mood. <laughs> yeah, she's in a, yeah,
1: she's in a sick, you know, and blah blah blah. And, How was your spa? I said, oh, it was brutal. You know, vomiting my guts up when I come home. But you know what? It wasn't as bad as last week. So, so you can have these because that little bit of comedic influence, which we always say is lived, it's using
0: humour. Yeah, you has
1: brought me through it, and and that's why I say if you change the language you can have these conversations. Yeah. And, and it was really quite a simple mechanic, but it certainly worked for me and my children because but, then they could talk about it.
2: Yeah, but it's amazing that we still have a taboo about any kind of discussion about it. Mm-hmm. It was, it, yeah. I just, I find that really weird. Did you ever turn around and say, Barbara's really good on my tits today? I'm not one <laughs> to talk to anyone. <laughs> just do one.
1: Many a times, many a <laughs> times. I mean, honestly. I am um, yeah no I mean I've got we've got loads of stories and and the other funny thing was you know I am um, people always said to me you know oh my god you know you can't believe you're going through that and um, you look so glamorous because I, my, again this is my mum's influence and my mum my coming from the classic glass region not so you get up you put your lipstick on you draw your eyebrows in and you get on with it And I literally felt her on my Uh, shoulders all the time. So I literally would get up. And of course, I'm in fashion. So I had all my hairdresser friends get me all these wigs and cut them and do all that. But again, sometimes I think you need to... It's very easy to feel sorry for yourself when you go through that uh because you look like shit. Your Uh skin goes a colour of grey that you've never even imagined. Uh You've not got a single hair left in your body. But, you know, I got my eyebrows tattooed because I was, you know, bald as anything. Um, so there's all these wee things that I think women just need to know, and it's okay to say, actually, you know what, if you pull yourself together, get your wig on, get a nice red lippy, draw in your eyebrows and make yourself a cup of tea, you'll feel a lot better. Yeah. And, but it's true,
0: isn't it? Because if you do look better, true. you feel better. It's just, it's just a symbiotic. Especially
1: when other people are looking at you, mm-hmm. and that's why I feel mm-hmm. so sorry for women that are going through the don't of partners and don't have families, mm-hmm. because then they think, oh, what's the point? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so these are the people that we really need to reach out and help. You know, I, I mean, I know I did it for my family
0: because I never wanted them to see me how I really looked. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it must be so easy to get into a spiral and just, you know, not now, not bother to get up one day, not bother to have a shower, and then that goes well, into so two days, days. You
1: can. You yeah. know, the first three months, my chemo was six months, but for the first three and a half months, mm-hmm. I lit. it was a struggle to make it from the bed to the toilet. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It was just, you know, because you were... And then what happened? You had three-week cycles, so you'd have literally... Um, an entire week and a half of vomiting and then somebody just turned the button off, you'd stop vomiting, you'd think, oh, I feel fine now, thank God for that, great. But then you'd have to go back in, it would start all over again. So, you know, it's kind of, it was this cyclical thing, but, you know, there is so, you know, it's such an incredibly frightening disease and how how mass it is everywhere, how the amount of people that affected, and I thought to myself, at one point, I was thinking to myself, you know what, I'm, I've done well to get to this age because, I got contacted by all these young girls who were 29, 31 with young babies. And I thought, I mean, I am lucky Mm -hmm. I've got my family there, but how do you cope with that when you've got babies and young children? And it's, and it's, everywhere and we
0: still are not educated enough to realise how young people get it at do you know what I mean we always do assume it's sort of women in their sort of late 40s, 50s, 60s you know that it's an Mm. older woman's disease rather than a young woman's disease I think sorry to interrupt
2: I think the thing as well all it does is echo the ignorance that we have as a society about ageism and ageing because Mm -hmm. what Your health proves it doesn't matter what number you happen to be that year. You can be 21 and in appalling health, you have no life. You can be like my father, who's 18 and in appalling health and have no life. And yet it's still taboo. And yet in, you know, uh, mainstream media, it's Tessa Hartman, whatever your age is, you know, or it's Naomi Campbell, whatever her age is. And it's just like, going to lay off the age, because actually, if you don't have your health, which sounds really clichéd, your age absolutely means it's bugger irrelevant. all because yeah, your life shines.
0: absolutely
1: yeah, i know no absolutely and speaking of ages you'll like this one to lighten the mood a bit um <laughs> i think it was i think it was the daily mail who wrote years ago that um sasha my husband is a year older than me so i'm 52 so he's 53 but years ago the daily mail wrote that he was 40 <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and so, and so everybody, you know, journalists, not that I want to slag off the journalists, but you know, no matter how many times <laughs> I've tried to correct them, um, everyone keeps running with that Sasha's 40. And so this is. This is a source of great humor in the house because um, he is forever, like he's probably 42 now if we go with how long it's been in the brain. He's 42 and I am 52. Um, but the funniest thing is, is the way society, I find my friends have sent me these conversations of people on housewife forums on Facebook debating the fact that she is a Cooper and actually she's borderline pedophile because her husband is 40 <laughs> and that means they've been married for 26 years which means that she married him when he was only 15 or 16 and that's disgusting
0: yeah. oh that's hilarious
1: <laughs> whole conversations and it's now
0: grown to be this urban thing and we laugh our heads off kind of think
1: Wow,
0: (laughs) but in the hearts and minds of some people who have just created this whole story and and life for you, that doesn't. I've had people. I've had people go. Well, he actually
1: looks. He's much better looking and younger looking than her, anyway. (laughs) Oh, nice. People are really kind, aren't they? Honestly, I despair. I despair. It is. It's comedy gold, but you've got to laugh at it. And I think that's one of the best things of being Scottish. You just treat it. And it is that
0: thing, humour is a massive, well, we work together with Stand Up Be Counted, which uses humour in other situations yeah. to help people with illnesses or in the workplace. And yeah, I think humour is is underestimated as to how powerful it is, particularly in situations that are traumatic, yeah. you know, because if we don't Absolutely. laugh we're gonna cry we'll cry uh, we will <laughs>
2: tessa can i ask because i just went to see i know you've had her over to the island i went to see sophie ellis bexter the other week and she was at the style <laughs> awards mm. and i'm obsessed that you know me and her we look alike we're both 45. <laughs> <laughs> we have the same body we've had nine children uh, when are the style awards coming back to jersey and more importantly mm. are you bringing them back to scotland
1: Well, these are very big questions. So I was going to do the Style Awards this year, but I just felt that because of the judging and the whole point of it is to award businesses that have had that 12 months previous to, you know, Put forward their application. So I thought actually, that's not really fair because COVID really really got into the grain again. So I'm hopefully going to do them next year, God willing. Um, and I have been thinking about doing Scottish Fashion Awards again, literally because and I'm still in contact with all the people that I yeah. worked with. Um, there's a kind of like new crop coming through now.
2: Uh-huh
1: and um, for me that's that the passion for me is the next generation and that's the people that need the most support Um, so I am thinking about maybe doing a fashion awards next year um, literally because I'm watching and following all the time Uh the next crop of talent and there's a lot of talent there and also the guys that that are at the top of their game are doing really well and I think that you know for them to the best thing about fashion awards was more often than not the networking Uh you know because we would bring in the textiles you know the the manufacturing the business leaders you'd have big design houses they would come they would meet some of the young crop and they would give them jobs you know we did so many deals behind the scenes you know harris tweed you know we got loads of orders for them so there was lots of things that happened because you're all scottish you're all in the one place Uh and you Uh all start networking and it really it was very powerful so from that perspective i think it would be it would be great just to kind of give a platform yeah the next generation of Scots coming through, and yeah. there's there's a lot of them.
2: And I also think with new people coming through, what you need for the event is an experienced host. So
0: if you just give me an email, <coughs> yeah. we can discuss money. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and think of someone suitable for you. I'm sure I know yeah. someone very you good. Yeah, yeah.
2: Tessa, thank you so much for joining us. That was brilliant. Beautiful. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you for, being, for your time. Thank, thank you for wonderful. being so honest.
1: Pleasure thank you thank you it's always it's, you know it's so lovely
0: to hear the scottish
2: accent <laughs> <laughs> and good luck going forward with what you i would imagine you have a cacophony of stuff up your designer sleeves so we will watch with breath that is baited lovely
1: oh listen it's lovely to
2: speak to you both and thanks so
1: much are for you too doll me. speak to you soon
2: okay See you later. all right thank you Bye.